Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Friday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, you and more dogs with us here on a Friday. You ever just walk around and say like, yeah, we need more dogs. We need more dogs. <laughs> need to do that more. Yeah. I think that's what should be said throughout the puppy bowl on Sunday. Yes. We need more dogs. We need more dogs. The uh, precursor to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58, will have a preview for you in each hour. Oh. In hour number one, we'll tell you why the 49ers will win. In hour number two, we'll tell you why the Chiefs will win. Pretty simple concept, right? Um, so we'll get to that. Uh, also, big news with the Pacers yesterday, trading Buddy Heald and getting, well, what exactly? Uh, we'll talk about that after headlines. And in hour number two, Buddy Heald, well, he did the classic bet on himself, according to reports. Unfortunately for him, probably didn't quite pay off. We'll, we'll know the final answer this summer. Uh, also on the show, Purdue can leave challengers in the dust in the Big Ten with a win against Indiana. It, meanwhile, in hour number two, IU is still very much in play in the Big Ten, but perhaps there's more reason to be excited yet again about another sport. <laughs> it seems to be a trend for Indiana. Yeah, it's uh, well, don't think about the men's basketball team. Let's talk about Football. Let's talk about women's basketball. Soccer. I mean, sure. Let's just, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, I don't expect much from the Hoosiers. No, this weekend. Neither do I. Also, uh, we'll discuss a moose uh, causing a ruckus for people in Wyoming. We'll explain what's going. This makes me nervous. I saw this video yesterday. This is terrifying to me. Saw this video yesterday. I, uh, so I do this activity, and I'm doing this activity this weekend. Now, granted, not. In Wyoming, so I don't have to worry about that aspect, but not not fun, not ideal. So we'll Let's get to that after eight fifty. Four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line again. Four six eight six two. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to it throughout the course of the show. Also, don't forget you can always listen to us via the stream at thirteen eighty thefan dot com on the free thirteen eighty thefan mobile app or on your smart speaker. Also free. And if you miss anything on the show. Whether it's today or a previous day, you can always catch up on the podcast. We had new Tin Caps manager Mike Daly on yesterday. So if you want to catch that interview, that was in the second hour toward the end of the show. Uh, you can download that podcast right now on your favorite podcasting platform and listen to what Mike Daly had to say. Yeah, tune in for that. I thought we could do, so since we're heading into Super Bowl weekend, open up the text sign 46862 throughout this morning's show. Just send us your predictions for the Super Bowl. It can be who wins. It can be who does what. It can be the color of the Gatorade that gets dumped on on the winning coach. Whatever you want to predict, throw it out there for Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday night. Hit us up. Let us know. Uh, there are a million prop bets. Do you have like a favorite prop bet? Um, You know, as much as of, of a better I am, I don't get too much into prop bets. Um, I would say the color of the Gatorade is always a riveting one uh, for me. Uh, the natural sense is to say red because both teams are predominantly red in their uniforms and color scheme. But uh, I don't know. That would probably be my, my favorite prop bet. But uh, it gets into the absurd if you search hard enough. So uh, we'll preview the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58 from the 49ers perspective here in about 20 minutes or so. All right, let's get to headlines. What do we got? 
So, uh, of course, we have NFL news, and boy, do we have NFL news. They had the NFL honors last night, and we start off with the Pro Football Hall of Fame announcement, and I, I think kind of a mixed bag in terms of what people expected. Julius Peppers, he's in. Dwight Freeney, he is in, former Indianapolis Colt. Uh, you have Patrick Willis, Devin Hester, finally getting in. Uh, Andre Johnson, the first uh, Texans, uh, you know, career guy to make the yeah. Hall of Fame. So that's pretty impressive. Those are the modern era selections. And then you have Steve McMichael, former Chicago Bear, uh, Randy Gratishar. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, the senior finalists as well. So yeah, a, a lot of people got in. the The issue always seems to be who didn't get in. Shocking that Antonio Gates didn't get in on his first chance on the ballot. I mean, he'll be in. That's right. not the issue. It's just you figure that was a lock. Reggie Wayne, if Andre Johnson can get in, Reggie Wayne will get in. Yeah, I would think so eventually. Uh, you look at Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis played with the 49ers. Wasn't a Texan. Uh, no, I was talking about... Are you talking about Andre, Andre Johnson? Johnson? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Steve McMichael, Mongo McMichael getting in. Which is cool to see, particularly uh, with his illness, and and uh, we knew at, at at some point he was going to get in. They were trying to speed up the process, um, and it's cool to see him get in before he passes because he is uh, struggling with the ALS, and uh, it's been very difficult for for him, obviously. But uh, a dude well deserving, and and cool to see him get that honor, and also Devin Hester, which. I think the debate has really kind of gone away in recent years, at least from what I've heard in terms of, of should a returner be in everybody, you know, you talk to and listen to is says he should be in it. It just, it, it was a mere formality and it's good to see Devin Hester. If you are the best at your position in the NFL, regardless of what that position is, whether it's punter, long snapper, returner, whatever, you should be in the hall of fame and Devin Hester gets in well-deserved. Well, and if Devin Hester is going to make the Hall of Fame, then I think the next question is uh, Adam Vinatieri, because I believe he'll be eligible next offseason. Last played in 2019, right? So I believe there's the five-year gap. So then he will be eligible, right? I mean, that's how Uh, this works. So, I mean, if Devin Hester gets in, I mean, Adam and Terry certainly will get in, right? There's five kickers in the Hall of Fame. I think it's five. Um, could he be the sixth? We shall see. The most recent, Morton Anderson, class of 2017. He played 25 years and one of the classic single bar kickers in terms of the single bar <laughs> on the helmet. The helmet. Uh, was Morton Anderson. So we'll see if Adam and Terry can get in as soon as next year. Good to see Dwight Freedy get in. Uh, Julius Peppers. Uh, Andre Johnson, Patrick Willis, Devin Hester, the modern day class of 2024 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The only one that's a surprise, and I don't even want to use that word because it's probably not the correct word. I guess Patrick Willis, only because he had a short career. He was yeah. dominant in his short career. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with, with Calvin Johnson, right? So Definitely agree. Definitely agree. And uh, he played barely seven, eight seasons with the 49ers. So kind of surprising there to beat out some other guys, but uh, no less deserving for sure. So next year on the Hall of Fame ballot, yes, Adam Vinatieri, also Eli Manning, Marshawn Lynch, Luke Kuechly. Uh, those are among some of the highlight of the modern era players. Also Terrell Suggs, 
will be on that list as well. So some of the new people who will be eligible. A veritable who's who is an interesting list as it is every year. Absolutely. So we go from the Hall of Fame to the NFL honors and the actual in-season awards. Some surprises for me last night. Yes. No surprise that Lamar Jackson is an MVP. His second MVP, 49 of the 50 first place votes. That wasn't the surprise. Now, uh, Joe Flacco, NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Eh, would have uh, liked to see DeMar Hamlin I mean, win how that. does I DeMar mean, Hamlin right? not win that award? I, 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 I mean, just, he's effectively dead on the field. I find that absurd, personally. Uh, I mean, yeah, I... I I'm shocked that DeMar Hamlin didn't. Well, Joe Flacco, what he did was great, fine, 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 but it does it pales in comparison to what happened to DeMar Hamlin. There's no reason whatsoever that DeMar Hamlin shouldn't have won that award. It's weird. And then you have, well, they said on the broadcast, Steven, but Kevin Stefanski, the Cleveland <laughs> Browns head coach, winning head coach of the year by one vote over D'Amico Ryans, which also, again, I think absurd. Jim Schwartz winning... Uh, assistant of the year, the Browns defensive coordinator. That I, I don't really have an issue with that. Uh, but C.J. Trout, offensive rookie of the year. Um, that's that was a lock. The Texans also get the defensive rookie of the year, defensive end Will Anderson Jr. as well uh, for defensive rookie of the year. Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Steelers defensive tackle Cameron Hayward. Um. Those are kind of the big ones. Yeah, those those are the big ones. Uh, defensive player of the year to Miles Garrett. Again, not a lot of surprises. Christian McCaffrey, uh, AP Offensive Player of the Year award. Again, he was dominant. I, I guess the issue I have with is with the Coach of the Year award and the Comeback Player yeah, of the Year Yeah, me award. too. I don't know how D'Amico Ryans doesn't win Coach of the Year. As a first-year coach, um, it, it seems like the, the Browns were ballot stuffing. It was Cleveland ballot stuffing for Coach of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. Miles Garrett's deserving for the defensive player of the year. I just, I don't know what other people, what the voters saw, I, I guess, is is my question. Uh, D'Amico Ryan should be coach of the year, and DeMar Hamlin should be comeback player of the year. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, those <laughs> should have been locks, but Kevin Stefanski, again, won by one vote. He won by one first place vote. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's and Stefanski tied at 165 as far as ballots, but Stefanski had 21 first place votes to D'Amico Ryan's 20. I mean, this is year four for Kevin Stefanski, and he didn't go any further than Houston did under a first-year coach. In fact, the, the the Texans actually won a playoff game, something that the Browns didn't do. Um, they and the and D'Amico Ryan's beat Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. Right in the playoffs, like how I I don't understand how D'Amico Ryan's doesn't get that award. Makes no sense to me. Absolutely host. I just, all you could say is some sort of, I, I don't understand. You, you don't want to say conspiracy, I, 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 but I just have a hard time taking anyone seriously that voted Kevin Stefanski over Domingo Ryan's for that award. As do I. Same uh, thing we, with Flacco and DeMar Hamill. Yeah. The, those should have been locks. And it's almost, the NFL's not, one of the things they've done a good job, not outsmarting themselves like baseball writers. Well, this is a, a case of the baseball writer. Let's be too cute with our votes kind of thing, which we all know baseball does that with the Hall of Fame seemingly yearly. But this was just absurd. We move on to the NBA. Yes, the trade deadline was yesterday. Really, and we'll talk about the Pacers move. Outside of that, nothing that was so earth-shattering, right? Normally, we get one or two earth-shattering trades. 
Well, those already happened with OG Ananobi to the Knicks, Pascal Siakam to the Pacers. And one of those two, OG Ananobi, uh, not good news for the Knicks. He underwent surgery to remove a loose bone fragment in his right elbow. He's expected to resume basketball activities in three weeks. I guess the good news there is you have the all-star break. So he's missed five straight games. He'll miss four more before the break uh, that begins on February 15th for the Knicks. So there's at least a built-in time frame in, in the recovery period, but not ideal for the Knicks who lost last night to the Dallas Mavericks. No, not ideal for a team that uh, continues to surprise me for how actual competent they look, but um, going to be tough for the Knicks to overcome that. Uh, several texts uh, actually came in. Um, yeah, talking about the awards. Yeah. Um, the Flacco won because of stats and performance. Pretty simple. I mean, DeMar Hamlin should have won because he died yeah. on the field. I mean, it's an uh, interesting comeback. Compared to, oh, I don't know, actually playing as opposed to, you know, dying and coming back. Um, I do think that uh, is a good point. You're mad about Flacco Hamlin, but not Garrett over Watt. TJ Watt was better in every single season. But he was injured at the end of the season. But he continues to just get screwed in terms of not being a defensive player of the year, which is is pretty surprising. Um, Last year was dominant. Didn't get it. Um, So I think there's an argument there for TJ Watt. But... um, Missing a couple games late may have hurt, but also he put up still better statistical uh, numbers than Miles Garrett despite missing uh, a couple games. So I, I do agree. It's not as egregious in my opinion as the other two, but I can see the beef that some people have for TJ Watt missing out on the game. He didn't miss any time, I don't think. I think he played all 17 games this year. For TJ for Watt? The Steelers. No, he, he had an injury late in the season. Late in I the believe. season? Yes. But I, did he miss any games? I believe I don't he think missed, he missed any games. I believe he missed some games. I twenty twenty three played all seventeen games. Okay, well then that means he played through injury at the end of the season. Um, maybe it, you know what? It's the playoff game that I think he may did he miss the playoff game? Is that what I'm thinking of? But, um, uh, maybe he did. The, the someone else texting in Stavansky had to overcome multiple injuries and in running back and quarterback. Uh, D'Amico had a great rookie quarterback, but here's the thing: he had a rookie quarterback. Who won them the division? A team that was horrible. They last were numbered. Year. They were the number two draft. They were one of the worst teams in the NFL the season prior. They would have the number one pick if not for their ridiculous fourth down conversion against the Colts to win at the end of the year. There is no argument that somebody can give me that tells me Kevin Stefanski is more deserving of that award than D'Amico Ryan's. I, fully I mean, D'Amico Ryan's are the they had the number two pick in the draft. They were terrible last year, and they get to the playoffs and win a playoff game. Just an astounding turnaround. And beat the Browns. And beat the, the Browns head-to-head in the playoffs. You, uh, if you you're gonna tell hold, me. If you're going to hold the awards <laughs> leading up to the Super Bowl, then you can count in, in yes. postseason performance. That's how it's done. Uh, there is nothing that you can tell me that makes that makes me think that Stefanski's more diver- deserving than Domingo Ryan's. Zero. I mean, Cleveland Browns fans, I, I know you love your guy, but come on. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, Kobe Bryant, his statue unveiled outside the arena formerly known as Staples. It was uh, a pose of him after his 81-point game. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. In golf, someone had a 57 on the Corn Ferry Tour. Cristobal Del Solar, a record 57. What the hell is the Corn Ferry Tour? So that's like the lead-up like lead to the PGA. So it's like... 
Triple A? Yeah. Okay. So he's 30 years old from Chile. Lowest ever score in a PGA Tour sanctioned event. Hmm. The 13 under 57. Previous record of 58 held by both Jim Furyk of the PGA Tour and Stefan Jaeger of the Corn Ferry Tour. Hmm. Very impressive. Not too shabby, huh? No, not not too shabby. Retire now. I mean, don't even yeah. go pro. Just, just <laughs> say you're done. Uh, Notre Dame, a couple of stories with them. They get uh, a key recruiting target, a four-star offensive tackle from the state of Wisconsin. In fact, the top player from Wisconsin. Can you imagine being 6'8 in high school and offensive lineman? Uh, they get Owen Strebig, who's 6'8. The big dude. And then Marcus Freeman, uh, this will kind of lead into transition into the Pacers. Marcus Freeman was at the Pacers game last night, but he was hanging out with Rick Carlisle and Steph Curry. I want to say he shares an, a, an agent with either Carlisle or Curry. I can't remember who it is. but uh, Well, he got to see quite the performance from yeah. Steph last night. Yeah, Steph Curry had a 6-of-6 six six start from 3 in this game uh, for Golden State in the first quarter. He went... 11 of 16 from three, scored 42. The Warriors blow out the Pacers 131 to 109. Uh, Indiana just flat out struggled. Halliburton, five points, 11 assists. He, he struggled just two of seven from the field. Pacers never really had it from this game. They were down from the get-go. Uh, also marked the homecoming for Trace Jackson Davis. He scored six points in four minutes of action. The former IU star and native of Greenwood getting some playing time. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton get to go against Steph Curry and the Warriors, and I know the Warriors aren't what they were even just a couple of years ago, but man, that's a laying a complete egg last night for the Pacers. Yes. And, 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 and Halliburton being part of it. I mean, I mean Benedict Matherin doubled the scoring of Tyrese Halliburton last night off the bench. So it was not, not a good performance. Uh, we'll get to the Pacers trade in a second. Also, the Comets. They rally back. They force overtime with a goal with about a minute left. And then they win in OT at Wichita last night, uh, four to three. Trey Linden with the game winner. The K's bounce back after a tough one against Kansas City on their road trip and beat Wichita. This is how crazy that uh that the Central is, is the Comets they get the win, but at one point last night the fuel had tied the K's for third. In the central earlier this week, the Comets slipped from second to third. They were in second for a while. And so despite the six, three and one streak over their last 10, which is pretty impressive. The fact that the wheeling nailers are on a 10 game winning streak and the Indy fuel have been pretty solid in their last 10 as well. There is no let up and the top four teams in each division make the playoffs. And the further you fall down, the, the, the more you have to kind of look at that fourth, fifth cutoff. And right now, Kalamazoo, a team that has owned the Comets so far this season, lurking just five points behind the Ks in fifth. So by no means is it a guarantee that the Comets make the playoffs. So every point matters. It was a big win last night. Meanwhile, yesterday was a busy day for the Pacers. And I don't know about big win because they lost on the court. And <laughs> when it comes to the front office, I'm not know sure if you was. can call that a big win either. The Pacers trade Buddy Heald. So it's a three-team trade. Buddy Heald went to Philly. The Pacers get Furkan Korkmaz, Marcus Morris, and three second-round picks. Then the Pacers send Morris a second and cash to the Spurs for Doug McDermott. 
The Pacers are sending the worst of the three second-round picks to Golden State. They get Corey Joseph in return, also $5.8 million in cash, and a second-rounder from Charlotte. Now, Pacers expected to waive Korkmaz and Corey Joseph. Uh, Joseph, a former Pacer, so in fact, he was good friends with Tyrese Halliburton, so obviously Halliburton probably was excited about that for the few hours that Joseph (laughs) was was a Pacer. So ultimately, you get Doug McDermott, also another former Pacer, Good three-point shooter, but that's about it. He's he's not providing a lot beyond that, and he's going to be a, a bench rotation guy. And a second for Buddy Heald. Now, I understand that Heald's on an expiring contract, and I understand that Pacers already got their guy in, t- in terms of Pascal Siakam, and they didn't have to give up a lot when it comes to, to players. But you just kind of wonder if they could have gotten more from this. And you heard Chad Buchanan... Uh, go to the, the and discuss talk about from from the front office how this makes them better long term. And GM Chad Buchanan had a hard time convincing me. How did this make the Pacers better long term? Can you can do, do you know? Because I don't. This just felt like you got some assets out of a guy that you weren't going to resign anyway. Yeah. I guess but second but, round picks. Uh, I mean, yeah. NBA teams throw around second round picks like it's nothing because they have little value. Yes, it, it's a nice throw in on a trade, but it should not be the the biggest takeaway. I I understand you get Doug McDermott, but this is a veteran player who can shoot threes, and that's really about it. He's well, not he's not elevating your defense. He's he's not a, a dynamic player in the open court. I mean, he can make some shots. He's a good but, shooter. But he's going to play barely 15 minutes a game for Correct. Him. So um, I guess you had, you got something out of Buddy Heald who was going to walk at the end of the year, I guess. But I mean, McDermott's averaging six points a game. So you hope that this isn't a move that the Pacers then go into the offseason and say, oh, we've made our move for the offseason. Because that would be concerning. But is it a, is it a Pacers team? And two, and maybe... Maybe the short term, this is this is more concerning because it didn't make the Pacers better for the rest of this year. Are the Pacers, if I'm a Pacers fan, I'm kind of like, you have an opportunity to be in the top six of the East to end the season and make a and and get some much needed playoff experience for a young roster. Also, you gave Buddy Heald away to a contender, which that's nice for him. But the Pacers are going to be battling Philly for playoff position. That's the part that I find most puzzling in, in all of this when you look at the East. I mean, the Pacers absolutely need to get a, a six seed or better, right, to, to make sure they're not in the play-in tournament. Right. And you just gave away a good offensive piece to another team who's going to be battling uh, on that line, especially without Joel Embiid for several months. Why not see it through with Buddy Heald for the end of the season? I mean... Why not keep together the best team you possibly can for the final 29 or so games of the season to try to make the top six in the East? Isn't that a good play for your for your your fans and the growth of this team and not having to get sucked into a play in round? I just it um, it's it's Indiana. I have two problems with it. One, I don't think it makes you better long term, despite what Buchanan said yesterday. Two. It's almost like they're already moving forward from this year with this move. Like this definitely doesn't make you better this year. And you're in the middle of trying to make the playoffs. 
it's just kind of weird. It almost was like a panic move. Like we've tried to move Buddy Heald for so long and it's never happened. And we're running out of time to do it because he's going to walk. And finally they had a taker and they pulled the trigger. Normally, Kevin Pritchard is winning these trades and, and he's mocked initially and we'll see how this plays out. Maybe one of those second round picks turns into some ridiculous player. Highly unlikely, mind you. But this was one where just... He is not one to just throw away assets to get a little in return, right? The, the, these moves seem very calculated. This one just is puzzling. Now, what it does mean going forward is that the Pacers are going to get a, a real opportunity with Buddy Heald gone for Benedict Matherin to get a lot more minutes and to hopefully become that third option that the Pacers desperately need. Also, it'll mean more minutes for Nimhard as well, more minutes for Ben Shepard. The rookies also played well in spots. So it'll mean more minutes for younger guys, and the Pacers have a younger roster. So that's the positive. It's just, does that lead to more wins, or does that lead to essentially the same team we have right now, which is five games above 500? Yeah, it's just difficult to... uh to rationalize this move and 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 we we presume that Pascal Siakam gets signed. Well, the, right? I mean, that's you don't not make that guarantee. trade without without making sure you get some sort of agreement on that. But I mean, I guess I'm kind of surprised that an extension hasn't been announced yet. He is a guy that has been vocal in saying that he wouldn't sign for through anybody who traded for him and the fact that ha- hasn't been done yet, I, I I would be concerned if I'm an Indiana Pacers fan. Because the closer you get to testing free agency, the more alluring that looks. Especially if Siakam can finish the season strong. 46862, your text line number 46862. Text rolling in CK. Typical Pacers making a move to keep them mediocre. Gave healed away for nothing. That's what it feels like. Again, we're going to see the younger guys get more minutes and they can prove themselves. But it just felt like a salary dump, which is not something the Pacers normally do. And if, look, if you're if you're 13th in the East and you're just middling and you're going through the final 30 games of the season, then okay, maybe that's a, a move that you can appreciate. But you're in the thick of trying to make the playoffs and be one of the top six teams in the East. I don't understand why you just don't see it through for Buddy Heald, especially when the return is what you got. And again, you weren't going to be able to re-sign him because if you're going to re-sign Pascal Siakam, Which you better. you're not keeping both those guys. So... um this really helps Philadelphia. I'm not sure how it helps Indiana beyond young guys getting a chance to truly prove themselves. And I guess they got a, a bigger wing in McDermott who's two inches taller than Heald, but he's older and he's not the scorer that Buddy Heald is. Good three-point shooter. Close. Uh, but that's about it. He's playing six minutes a game. It's hard to get a real judge on what he can do. We'll see how this works out for the Pacers, but... Just- uh, at least on the surface, not very impressive with what they did yesterday. Again, 46862, if you have thoughts on the Pacers trade from yesterday, coming up in hour number two, Buddy Heald bet on himself, and this one did not work out. Let's hope it doesn't go the way of another former Pacer. We'll get to that after the top of hour number two. Coming up on the other side, Super Bowl 58, why the 49ers will win. Next, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. A little bit of pony here. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. I'll never forget uh, my bus driver in middle school. This is how old this song is. Close to 30 years now. Used to refer to this song as the song where 
they're burping through the entire thing. <laughs> so uh, that uh, always comes to mind when I hear this song. I could, I could see that. Yeah, burping through the whole thing. But uh, yeah, this song close to, if not 30 years old now. Hard to believe. Getting old. Hard to believe, yeah. Uh, so Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday. And you can listen to the game right here exclusively in Fort Wayne on 1380 The Fan. Pre-game at 5 o'clock. Kickoff at 6.30. We have special programming starting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to get you set for Super Bowl 58. In this hour, we're going to tell you why the 49ers will win. Next hour, we'll tell you why the Chiefs will win. And then, of course, we'll make our picks uh, at the end of hour number two. You look at this matchup, Justin. And for the 49ers, everything is set up for them. They they have the edge in so many position groups, right? They have better wide receivers. They're even, essentially, a tight end. We're talking about two all-time great tight ends, future Hall of Famers. Um, they have an elite tackle in Trent Williams. They have the way better defensive line. They're elite at linebacker. They have an elite offense overall and defense overall when you look at the rankings. They're both top 10. Plus 10 in turnover margin. The Chiefs minus 11 during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, then you throw in the fact that left guard Joe Tooney, the Chiefs unlikely to play. And the Chiefs are a team giving up a league-leading 36 holds when you include uh, the postseason. Nick Bosa can eat their lunch in this game. They're also hungry for a rematch after what happened in Super Bowl 54. All the pieces have a line for the 49ers. They're the favorite going into Sunday. And while Brock Purdy's no Mahomes, he certainly is not Jimmy Garoppolo either. He's a much better quarterback uh, than Jimmy Garoppolo. As much as I like to hate on Brock Purdy, he's clearly proven himself to definitely be in the top half of quarterbacks in the league. I, I may even go a little bit higher depending on what happens Sunday. Ooh. Can't wait to hear that on Monday. Yeah, I, I'm still not sold, but yeah, I mean the strength of the div- of the 49ers when you look at it is of course Christian McCaffrey and that defensive line. I mean Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, um, they've been tremendous all season. Uh, it is uh, even I mean they have Chase Young too, and he he really hasn't lived up to what they thought they were getting when they traded for Washington, but it's still a very very good uh, defensive front. For San Francisco. And you look at the secondary that is all new faces from the last time these teams played in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 54, and you have to like uh, what you what you have there. I think offensively, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, in my opinion, are the two best wide receivers in this game. And oh, they're both on San Francisco. Yes. Right? And then, of course, you have Christian McCaffrey. So there is definitely a ton to like about San Francisco, I think the the pick for me in going with 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 the Chiefs is strictly because of Patrick Mahomes. But when you break down this matchup, as good as that defense is for Kansas City, you really see a lot of um edge when when you're looking particularly defensively is a lot of positions that you say San Francisco has the edge. Well, and, and this kind of goes back to the bigger narrative with Mahomes. And yes, we'll talk more about this in the second hour with Mahomes. But on paper, this game, and, and Vegas says so as well, they agree. The 49ers have an edge in not every position group, but nearly every position group outside of quarterback and probably special teams play. Like beyond that, it's pretty much even or favors the Niners. In coaching, you have two elite offensive minds, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, the only reason why 
people maybe aren't, aren't making him the favorite is just because he's younger and hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. We feel like that will come. Um, this is a team that has all the pieces. The 49ers, I, I think the key stat for me when I look at this game, 49ers are 20-0 with Brock Purdy as quarterback when scoring 20 or more points. Mm. Now, the one X factor to me for the Niners that c- could get in the way, special teams mistakes, right? We, we saw them lose a game to the Browns earlier this season on a missed field goal by the rookie, Jake Moody. Uh, he has been kind of inconsistent. That's really the one weak point, it seems, for this 49ers team. Yeah, I mean, if you're picking between Harrison Butker and Jake Moody, it's a no-brainer yeah. for sure in terms yeah. of place kicking. Uh, I think uh, you look at the linebackers with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw for San Francisco. Two, two of the best in the NFL. Absolutely. And you look at, at Kansas City, and they have depth at linebacker, including uh, uh, Drew Tranquil from Carroll. But there's just not a lot of star power there. So I would say 49ers have the edge there. The 49ers have their defensive front seven maybe is the key for San Francisco in terms of being able to make plays against that Kansas City defense. They have to have a big game. So I think the biggest question for San Francisco is just Brock Purdy. As as good as he has been, he is still in his first Super Bowl. And how does he handle that when he's facing the best quarterback in the NFL currently? And is it a situation where he's a little nervous early and as long as he doesn't make a bad mistake, he'll settle in and he'll be fine? Right? I, I mean, between special teams, which I think is the the biggest weakness for this 49ers team, Brock Purdy is a good player. Like, I don't think he's a weakness, but he obviously is no Patrick Mahomes. So Brock Purdy is going to play a key role, and he's got to start faster than, than he has in the postseason so far. Yeah, he definitely has, and can't be playing from behind. All the cliches, all that stuff that you, you, you see, we... One of the things that we were waiting to see for San Francisco is can they come back and win a game when they're down in the second half with Brock Purdy? They were able to do that in the playoffs. So I think those uh, those questions have been answered. But still, it's another thing when you have to face Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes in the moment and, and, and how big the Super Bowl is, et cetera, et cetera. I think if you break these two teams down, you tend to favor San Francisco at the majority of the positions. But at the most important position on the field, you feel like Patrick Mahomes has the decided edge and we'll see if Brock Purdy can rise to the occasion and at least be around the same um, area that Patrick Mahomes is in terms of effectiveness. Got to stay in the same area code. Yes, you you, you don't have to Don't have to be in the same Mahomes. zip code, yes. but stay in the area code. Stay stay uh, stay within striking distance, so to speak. You, you cannot lay an egg and beat Patrick Mahomes, but you also don't have to throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns to beat Kansas City either. So that will be the biggest question for me Sunday is Brock Purdy. Can he come out crisp and effective from the jump and play complete four quarters? Coming up in hour number two, we'll tell you why the Chiefs will win Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. Let us know your thoughts. 46862 on the text line. Coming up Next, Purdue can leave their challengers in the dust with a win against Indiana coming up tomorrow night. Very little buzz for this one. I wonder why. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. And people fired up on the text line. 
Good. Not, and not fired up about the things I would have expected. No, not, it's not it's so a... much railing the Pacers, not fired up about the Super Bowl necessarily. The... Fired up about the NFL honors. Yeah, you never know what's going to get people fired up on this show, but uh, it's great to see. So we welcome we, any and all texts. Yeah, and maybe people will be more fired up about this topic. Uh, Purdue, Indiana. Purdue now a game and a half, not ahead of Wisconsin because they've completely faded after losing to Michigan. Uh, just embarrassing. So they've lost to what? Penn State, Purdue, and Michigan now. Uh, Wisconsin's completely faded. So Purdue looking for a season sweep of Indiana. Last year was the Hoosiers getting the season sweep. Is there no buzz for this game because of what happened the first time around? Is that I think a lot is, of it is has that to do what with this that. is? Because I, I don't think there's there's no chatter from IU fans because they know they're going to get demolished at Mackey. Um, they had their shot and they had their one little second half rally, but all in all, they embarrassed themselves at home last time, and, and I think that's why there's just no buzz for this game. Uh, the narrative for Purdue IU this year is not if Purdue wins, it's how much does Purdue win by? This this feels like uh, some of the elite IU teams over a decade ago when they were trouncing Purdue by 30 plus. This feels like it could be one of those games on Saturday night. Yeah, it just feels like a mere formality and maybe that's when Indiana can take advantage, I guess, of an opportunity. I I don't think, I I think I looked at it and they have like a 3% chance of winning this game or something in the one metric. They're not winning this, this basketball game, but can they not get embarrassed, which is what they did at the assembly hall earlier this year. And I think that's going to be the biggest question for me, but then conversely, how, how do you get there? How does Indiana ensure the fact that they're in this game? And I don't really know. Yeah. There, there's no Xavier Johnson, which for as much of a headache he has been, he is still the best guard on this roster. The only guard who can create his own shot. Uh, you've had Malik renew hobbled around Khalil Ware potentially hobbling uh we saw his whatever that was the end the ohio state game and i mean very end and you wonder what kind of impact that will be we'll see the injury report uh, report coming up tomorrow night before the game obviously so those are all question marks and for iu is is this a game that if mike woodson and the hoosiers come out flat again like is this the game that completely turns off the fan base or do we see an inspired performance like we saw the final seven minutes against Ohio State? A lot of questions because you don't know what you're going to get from this IU team. You do know what you're going to get out of Purdue, though. There's no question about what you're getting out of Purdue, Marano. Uh, do you look at Indiana and trying to put together a game plan where they they attack Zach Eady? They try to get him into foul, early foul trouble, try to take advantage of that? Is it an Indiana team that looks at this matchup and says, okay, we're just going to have to shoot lights out from the perimeter, and maybe we see a team in Indiana shoot the most threes it has all year, potentially. Um, what's the game plan? And and I, I don't know what it is, and, and quite frankly, I don't know if I have a lot of confidence in what Mike Woodson's going to put together. But I think you're at a place in this series, and th- that's really the only thing that IU fans could thump their chest the last two years and say, oh, oh Mike Woodson's 3-1 and one against uh, Purdue. Well, he got embarrassed earlier this year in the worst loss at home in the series at the assembly hall in a long time. And now you go on the road to Mackey and coming off a come from behind win, but does it give you any added confidence that IU can uh, turn the tables and, and, and be competitive in this game? It doesn't to me. 
Worst loss for IU in the IU Purdue series in Bloomington going back to 1934. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just, um, th- there's just not much buzz around for this game. Is it because it's, it's uh, it's on the weekend and and we haven't really gotten there yet. Is it because of the Super Super Bowl weekend? Is it because Purdue fans are apathetic to facing Indiana because they destroyed them the first time? Is it IU just kind of cashing it in? I don't know what the reasoning is, but it just doesn't seem to have much buzz here. I would agree. And a text coming in on the text line at four six eight six two. There is no buzz for any IU games. IU fans are apathetic. The ceiling is so low with the current staff. Feels like Archie's last year. People just don't. Uh, also, CK, I'm calling ED outscores IU hold entire team ED 45 IU 44. It's uh, yeah, have we reached that point with apathy that, with Indiana? That that feels like one of the Archie IU Purdue games where IU went to Mackey and somehow lost like what was it like 48 46 in in 2018 or 19. I mean, yeah. th- that's that's kind of the level of confidence that the IU fan base has, which is quite low at the moment and. For Indiana, all the talk, right? Winning three out of four coming into the season. Rivalry had kind of shifted gears, you felt like, even though Purdue had the more talented team last year and going into this year. But Purdue shut that up uh, with the win at Assembly Hall. And, man, IU gets to showcase whatever they're going to show up with on national TV on Fox. And you can, of course, listen to the Purdue broadcast here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM pregame at 7. Tip at 8, IU broadcast on 92.3 FM, our sister station. So a lot of eyes and attention on this game. I'm just not sure what Indiana team's going to show up. And that, that ultimately is the biggest question. For Purdue, there's the consistency, right? There's the fact that Purdue should run away with the Big Ten. I was looking at comparisons for Purdue and Indiana like through history like yeah. in, in the rivalry. And it's shocking because about the only thing that IU has to point to, and we joke about this all the time, and it's always the the common final say, you know, between IU and Purdue fans, the banners, right? But that's, in, the, in basketball even, that's essentially be, becoming one of the only things that IU is ahead of Purdue in. It's not Big Ten championships. Nope. Purdue's going to extend that again this year by one more uh, to get to 26. IU stuck at 22. It's not um, recent NCAA tournament success. <laughs> nope. Albeit uh, last Purdue year. is, is going to close that gap on tournament appearances to 41 and 35. Now IU season's going. Purdue has more consensus first team All-Americans. They have more All-Americans. Obviously more Big Ten tournament championships. Uh, they're tied National Player of the Year. Zach Eady will win another. Uh, Big Ten Player of the Year. They'll be tied after this year because Zach Eady will win it again. Big Ten Coach of the Year. Purdue has dominated that. So it, when you look at some of those metrics, again, outside of the big one, mind you, and Purdue's got to get to a Final Four and, and perhaps win a championship to, for that conversation to kind of change gears. But Purdue's catching up because Matt Painter has taken what Gene Cady did and taken it to another level. No one can deny that. I mean, it, Matt Painter's taking Purdue to heights where they've never been in history. 46862, the text line 46862. I mean, at this point, if you're an Indiana fan, are there Indiana fans out there that aren't even going to watch this game? That aren't even going to tune in, tune in because you know how it's going to go. You tuned in to the, to the game at the Assembly Hall earlier this year between the rivals, and you felt, oh, maybe IU has a chance, and uh, we saw what happened. I mean, are there IU fans out there that are just going to be 
reach that apathetic point where you're not even going to watch this game? Maybe keep an eye on the score here, there, be like, oh, they're only down seven midway through the second half. How about that? But are there IU fans out there that just aren't going to even watch this game? 46862. Let us know on the text line your thoughts and uh, maybe maybe a poll question like, uh, you know, IU fans, are you apathetic about the rest of the season already? Like, have you checked out? If I, I think that's kind of where we're at. Another blowout loss to Purdue, which is kind of like Michigan and Ohio State, not to that ri- the level, but if you lose a lot of games to your rival, that can mean a lot more than other things around the program, like making tournaments. Another lopsided loss to Purdue. What's the response on Mike Woodson tomorrow, this weekend? They go out and just get housed by 20-plus again. What's the response? And if, if if there's a lack of a response, then that'll tell you something, won't it? Yeah. So poll question is up. IU fans are already checked out on this team ahead of the Purdue game Saturday night. Yes or no? Pretty simple. Uh, let us know if, you, if you're an IU fan. If you're a Purdue fan, you can just uh, bask in the, the failures of Indiana basketball this season and really for quite some time. Yeah, for quite some time. <laughs> Uh, CK, watching Indiana basketball like driving by a traffic accident and just can't take your eyes off of the horror. It, I, Is that a I, Purdue fan texting in or an IU fan I texting mean, in? I mean, I can't disagree with that, right? <laughs> that, you told that you said that to me earlier this week because you it was the first half of the Ohio State game and you were... Oh, it was the disaster. And I'm like, why are you even watching that? And he's like, uh, you've watched teams get destroyed. Yeah. Uh, time and again, you're like you're you're dead I inside. Will, when it I will comes hang to. on to the end of a blowout loss. You will if, watch if, the final if, seconds. Like if I have the time to do so, I will hang on. Like so you if, mentioned, if what, someone if someone's getting trounced, you know, in football, like fifty five to ten, I'll watch that whole game. <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment in that aspect. What was it? Two thousand uh, two thousand. Uh, no, it, Notre Dame, Michigan. What it was thirty eight nothing and. It was like 2003 or four. I forget okay. the year. Probably 2004 because that would have been Willingham getting fired after that season. So I watched that whole game. It was 2003. 38 okay. nothing. You sat and watched that entire yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Brutal. It was so. like 50 Mike Hart runs for like four yards. <laughs> so we can anticipate uh, Caleb watching all 40 minutes of tomorrow night. Uh, another text coming in. IU fans are mentally exhausted. The burnout rate climbs by the week. The fan pulse is as low as I've ever seen it. Well, we'll we'll see what happens post Purdue game. If a new you low, know, the, the the balcony even has people in it at Assembly Hall. I mean that that's the next question, right? That's when you know the fan apathy is really. And I'm not talking non conference, right, against a directional school. I'm talking right. a Big Ten game. Well, I think there's layers of the apathy. So you that's the next step where people stop showing up. Then the next step after that is people show up just to boo you and call for your firing. <laughs> Mike Woodson that's is what not happened there to Archie yet. in the Big Ten tournament. But that's the thing. That's when you reach a point of no return where you're like, all right, this has definitely reached the end of the road. We haven't reached the end of the road yet with Mike Woodson. Does another lopsided loss to Purdue tomorrow night push IU fans further into that too? Not apathy, but past that and in terms of action to get that coach removed. We saw it with Archie. We're not there yet with Mike Woodson. I don't think it happens after year three, but man, another bad performance against your rival 
And those cries are going to get louder. Coming up on the other side, hour number two, Buddy Heald bet on himself. Will it pay off unlike a former Pacer? Plus, are you still very much in play in the Big Ten? And I'm not talking in men's basketball. We'll explain that. And Super Bowl 58, we talked why the 49ers will win. We'll discuss why the Chiefs will win at the end of hour number two. That's all to come. Plus, a moose on the loose attacking people in Wyoming. All to come, hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you coming up this hour on the show. Buddy Heald bet on himself. Will it pay off after he was traded from the Pacers? Plus, IU still very much in play in the Big Ten. And we're not talking in men's basketball. We'll get to that. In Super Bowl 58, we talked why the 49ers will win in hour number one. We'll discuss why the Chiefs will win here in hour number two and make our Super Bowl selections. And before we leave you at the end of the show, a moose causing havoc in Wyoming. Chasing after people. Yes, a moose on the loose. We'll get to that uh, at the end of the show after 8.50, all to come here on a Friday. Don't forget, you can always listen to us, of course, on your radio, but also on the stream at 1380thefan.com. You can download the free 1380 The Fan mobile app and listen on your phone on the go or on your smart speaker as well. So, poll question of the day is up, Justin, and here's how people go to vote. Uh, Caleb Kinney, 1380. On Twitter slash X, uh, you can vote in the poll. And the question is a simple one. IU fans, are you already checked out on this team ahead of the Purdue game coming up Saturday night? Yes or no? Let us know. Early returns, uh, yes, but it's it's about six, nearly 60-40 split at the moment. All right. So we'll keep an eye on that as we go through the show. Yes. So uh, we'll, we'll keep looking at that. Uh, we'll have a reason why IU fans should not be... Uh, uh, burnt out, at least on a different team. We'll get to that uh, after mm. after this segment. Here's something that uh, just came out this morning from Kyle Neddenrep of the Indianapolis yes. Star talking about is seeding coming to the IHSAA football tournament. A proposal for Class 6A is in the works. Of course, there's the rumblings about 6A and it, the bottom of 6A as opposed to the top 6A and how big of a discrepancy there is in terms of enrollment. Well, uh, the proposal per Kyle Nenrep, if it generates enough momentum at the Indiana Football Coaches Association State Clinic in March, will call for a two-year pilot program to seed only 6A. The proposal would likely seed the North from 1 through 16 and the South the same way. It's kind of where we stand on this. The idea started with the 6A coaches um, from the coaches from all 314 football playing schools were surveyed. They were asked if they would favor a further discussion on seeding the tournament and if they would support a two-year pilot program for seeding in the 6A only. The Wouldn't so, this just increase travel to make it almost like insurmountable? Well, I mean, the fact that you're playing on Fridays, you're not having to worry about Tuesdays, Wednesdays, I guess makes sense. And how is this going to change outcomes? Well, that's a very good question. So... Um, it says, let's see, it's going to have a discussion with state clinic. We're going to invite all the head. So why just 6A? Okay. Okay. There are several reasons. Um, 32 teams. 
These schools are largely from central Indiana. 20 of the 32 are in the current classification, which would limit the travel that could make seating problematic in other classes. Maybe most important, a scaled down simple plan has the best chance of gaining traction. So I said, it's tough to do. Um, they've tried to seat all the class or they tried with all classes before. If you can hone in on one class, something that fits us, we can work hand in hand with the IHSAA. Blah, blah, blah. The timing of the proposal is important. The reclassification with the next two year cycle is coming uh, soon. So the last time the Indiana football coaches association proposed seating six years ago, it called for the top two teams in each sectional in classes one, a through four, a to be seated by Sagarin. The idea in class five, a six, a was for each four team sectional to be combined into an eight team regional with the top two teams seated by Sagarin and rest determined by the traditional blind draw. The, all this stuff, people argue about like the silliest things for high school sports, like seating sectionals and a shot clock and all this nonsense. It's like one major, like a majority of these schools, this would actually be a financial like hit. Like we're talking about high school, like not all these schools have the resources to make these things a reality. It sounds great on paper, but the execution of it. And this is another thing where, yeah, it sounds great on paper, but it's just going to increase travel. And, uh, how is this going to change outcomes? Because yeah, I don't think it's going like, to. How's this change? The best the teams that, will advance anyway. Yes. I, I don't it's understand how this, how this does any. I think what this does is protects more central Indiana schools. Correct. Which I guess I'm not against if those are the best teams. Which traditionally that, that those sectionals with Westfield and Fishers and Noblesville and HSE. I mean, yeah, they're they're tough to uh to get out of for sure so if anything this is protecting again 20 of your 30 32 6a schools are in the indianapolis metro area it's basically protecting them but i'm not entirely against that like people that complain that 6a or 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 indianapolis dominates the central indiana dominates like well they kind of should shouldn't they i mean they have 20 of the 32 teams in class 6a or when when people are mad that Carmel and Ben Davis are playing for the state championship. And my thing is like, you have to draw the line somewhere. And in my opinion, you should draw the line through Indianapolis to divide yeah. 20 of your 32 6A schools. I-70 exists. Just make that the... <laughs> I'm just... Uh, the 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 traditional people I complain about oh you know it's 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 two teams that are three miles away from each other playing for the state championship it's like the line you have to split the state somewhere and you're not going to send all of the indie schools north or all of the indie schools south because that doesn't make sense so but I'm with you in terms of what this solves it doesn't solve anything it doesn't solve anything and my thing is I don't see a problem to begin with yeah well. We didn't see a problem with the regional format to begin with either. And they changed that. Yeah. My thing is, is if there should be seeding, there should be seeding in basketball. Uh, football doesn't bother me. Yeah. You're playing on Friday regardless. The two best teams in a sectional in basketball shouldn't be playing at six o'clock on a Tuesday. But football, I don't really see the need. Uh, this is just what I expect, right? They're going to evaluate stuff that doesn't need evaluated. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the best the best example of that is the aforementioned regional. Like there was nothing wrong with the regional round. You just changed it to change it. And if now it, this weekend for girls regionals, you have to win one game. If it ain't broke, don't fix don't it. Don't fix that's, it. That, that's, that's one of my mottos in life. It's a, it's a pretty darn good motto. Thank you. You're welcome.
All right, what were we supposed to be talking about this time? Uh, Buddy Heald. So, Buddy Heald bet on himself, we learned. Uh, Woj reporting a sizable extension was on the table for the former Indiana Pacer this past summer. He's, of course, on an expiring contract. Obviously did not sign that extension. And now, he'll be with a contender in Philly to close out the season. He had some three-point shooting. Uh, the, The injuries that they have with Joel Embiid to close out the year. I mean, the Pacers essentially traded a guy to a team that needs pieces because Embiid's going to be out for like two months. Yeah. The Pacers are just behind the Sixers in the standings. This seemed like a a just a massive miscalculation, not only on the Pacers' part, but now you wonder how will this play out for Buddy Heald because he's 32 years old, he's on an expiring deal, he's not going to get the money that, that he thought he was going to get. That offer that the Pacers offered, he's probably not going to touch that especially based on the season he's had so far so outside of him boosting his scoring average and and shooting even better uh from three because he's not bringing you much defensively this was a massive risk i understand the pacers didn't get a lot for buddy healed but for buddy healed turning down that contract extension this kind of shows how it doesn't always work out when you bet on yourself and I, I talked about this stat earlier this week. The Pacers were 11 and 17 when Heald started the season, 18 and 6 when he comes off the bench. I mean, that should tell you all you need to know. Now, the Pacers didn't get any closer to the top of the East with this move. Is that going to matter, though? Because are they really going to get much higher than five or six anyway? But for Heald, big risk. You hope there's a big reward and not the opposite end of that, which was former Pacer Victor Oladipo, who was part of another trade. He hasn't played since last April. Uh, another torn patellar tendon, and he just got waved by the Grizzlies after he was traded. Uh, the, the thing is with Buddy Heald is scoring is down from last year. His rebounding is down from last year. Uh, his shots per game are down from last year. His three-point percentage is down from last year. All those metrics, and he, like you said, bet on himself, and it didn't work out, and he'll probably hit the, the free agent market now after Philly, or after the season with Philly. My thing is, with the Pacers, and we kind of touched on this in the first hour, and you mentioned it, they're battling Philly, and Joel Embiid is going to be out for the foreseeable future. That opens up an opportunity for the Pacers to pass the Sixers in the East. But what the Pacers did yesterday was effectively help Philadelphia by giving them Buddy Heald and soften the blow a little bit from losing Embiid. It why was, does that make sense? I don't understand why the Pacers made this deal when it is not a good deal for this year. You take away somebody that's a contributor off your rotation and you give it to a team you're chasing in the East. And that's the part that it's hard for me to wrap my head around because the Sixers are above the Pacers in the East. If it was to the West... Right? It, it, a lot less risk there. Uh, also, Buddy Heald, so what he could have technically been offered was four years and up to $171 million uh, in, in a new contract, which would would have included an extra $7.5 million this season if if he was offered and accepted an extension in the offseason leading into the season. Now, we, we have word that he was offered an extension uh, sometime in August or September, Obviously, Heald did not accept that extension. He's going to be a free agent after the season. So that is a massive risk on his part. You're on the downward side of your career. And I, I'm not sure who is making the bigger risk here. 
the, the Pacers, by trading it to a fellow contender of the East, they're going to be battling for a guaranteed playoff spot for, or Buddy healed himself by not signing that extension because he's not touching that money uh, when it comes to the free agent market this summer. And you, like you said, putting a, a lot of a lot of pressure on him to perform with him beat out and maybe earn some of that money. But um, going to be tremendously difficult to see if he can do that. I just, you know, you look at the Pacers and 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 to me, I just think they they panicked. And they said, man, we've been trying to trade Heald for a while. He's not re-signing with us. Oh, my gosh, he's going to walk. we got to get something for him. Uh, here, here's a trade. Well, and they've been in this situation several times, and they figured it out. That That's the part that's puzzling. Like, they they got something out of Paul George. Now everyone said they were fleeced, but they, they got two all-stars. Yeah. Um, you obviously got something out of, you know, you had to make a decision on, on Turner or Sabonis. You extend Turner. You trade Sabonis. You get Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald out of it. Clearly that worked. Uh, now uh, you had it with Victor Oladipo. You got Karis LeVert. He provided something for a bit before they had to move on from him. Um, now you're in that same boat. You 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 trade for Pascal Siakam. You knew you weren't re-signing Buddy Heald by making that move. That was very clear. But but now outside of Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard turning into really great like third, fourth options on this team, yeah. like it feels like you've lost that trade. And I guess maybe just, just like those other trades, maybe we need to come back here in a year or two and reevaluate again. Right now, it doesn't look like a good one. But um, Again, the positive is the Pacers get more minutes for their younger guys, like Nimhard, who's starting, like Benedict Matherin, who's coming off the bench, who is is finding his footing this season. Again, slow start. I mean, they were getting closer to the level of scoring the ad last year. I mean, that's the thing. I think they would love Matherin to break into the starting lineup and stay there. This will certainly give them a lot more minutes. Yes. And maybe that's the play, but it just, that wasn't the explanation we got yesterday. Yeah. No, that's if, not what Chad Buchanan said. If that's it, then that's fair. But that's not what Chad Buchanan said yesterday. So this is this makes us better long term and winning on McDermott and all this stuff. It's you know you're not you're not you're not selling this very well. And because the Pacers obviously weren't going to be willing to trade Benedict Matherin or one of their rookies, Jarris Walker, who's not get, getting a lot of minutes, mind you, but they're not willing to trade him. You're not going to attract big offers because guys on expiring contracts like a Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin, you're not going to attract a lot for that for obvious reasons. So the the Pacers. Made a bet, but who made the bigger bet? The Pacers or Buddy Heel betting on himself? I think that that's what this ultimately comes down to. And I still think the Pacers, in the end, are better for it because of the young talent that they have on the roster. And that they have so much depth that they need to actually give these guys more minutes. But if Buddy Heel comes back, excels in Philly, and Philly finishes ahead of the Pacers with them beat out for these next couple months... That is a bad look for the Pacers front office. It very much is. And making sure you are signing Pascal Siakam to a long-term deal is a paramount <laughs> importance too. Still by the not way. signed. No, which he's still not signed. And it just, you know, you could say, oh, we're waiting until the offseason. But the closer you get to free agency and the more that your agent can say, hey, I've heard overtures from this team and that team and they're prepared to give you this, 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 then the closer you come to Siakam wanting to test that free agency market. So... That, to me, should be the primary uh, priority right now 
for the Pacers is making sure you lock up Pascal Siakam because it's not a guarantee. We thought, okay, he's going to get traded and they'll immediately uh, work out an extension. That hasn't happened. I'd be a little concerned. I am. Uh, I would say I'm not that concerned about Siakam signing long-term in Indy, but that is something that's always in the back of your mind. And I guess that that's how I look at that. I, I think he does stay, right? You don't, you don't make that move. If you're not convinced that he's going to sign an extension and stay long-term, obviously he wants to play with Halliburton. He obviously has that connection to Indianapolis. His brother played for uh, UND. So there's some some good kind of parallels there that he wanted to come to Indiana and play with Halliburton. That family, you know, the family connection as well. So I'm not I'm not thinking it's it's a panic situation, but you just got to keep that in the back of your mind that, hey, he's still not signing long-term. You got to make sure that you're catering to him and, and giving him everything you need and that he needs to stay in Indy for the future. And top, top of mind, top of priority, a hell of a lot of money and a good team around him and trading Buddy Heald, at least for the short term, doesn't make them a better basketball team. 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, IU still very much in play in the Big Ten. And we're not talking about men's basketball. Fascinating development on the recruiting trail next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. Uh, type in CK before your message. We'll get to it throughout the course of the show. Also, our poll question of the day is up. If you're an IU fan... And we're talking men's basketball, to be specific. Are you already checked out on the season ahead of the Purdue game coming up Saturday night? Uh, Caleb Kinney, 1380 on Twitter slash X. That is how you can vote on their simple yes or no question. Uh, Or you can just vote via the text line and let us know if you're already checked out. Just put in CK again before your message. So we go from IU, who's very much in the play in the Big Ten, well, for sixth. We go from men's basketball to football. Now, we covered this recently that a top quarterback on the recruiting trail visiting IU. Five-star guy. Yeah, five-star guy. Number one quarterback, Julian Lewis, who is the top quarterback in in the class of 2025. All right, it's one thing to to get a visit, and he's currently uh, committed to USC. However... A lot of people are already saying he's not expected to stay with USC, which, hmm. I mean, why are you visiting other schools, yeah, right? Yeah, it that, doesn't that, sound like a very solid commitment no. to me. <laughs> that, that's, that's the part I can't get past. Uh, but he is uh, ranked uh, as one of the top prospects uh, among quarterbacks, uh, one of the top prospects overall. Uh, but Julian Lewis visited IU last weekend, and now... We have friend of the show, Tom Loy, 24-7 Sports, saying, you know, Indiana essentially has a chance in this recruitment. So this wasn't just a courtesy visit. He legitimately no. has interest in Indiana. And remember, new IU quarterbacks coach Tino Sinceri, uh, that's... Very close relationship. Yeah, close relationship going close. back, I think, to what, since he was eight or something. So this is a factor in this recruitment. And again, we said it then, we'll say it now, relationships are everything when it comes to recruiting it's not just the name of the school, right, on or, or the, the logo on the helmet that's most important. 
You got to have good relationships. And for IU, this is a massive step forward that I don't think any IU fan could have ever imagined being in the conversation for someone like this uh, even a year ago. Not saying they're going to land them. Right. How important is it for them to win games this upcoming season to have a chance to land a five-star quarterback? Because relationships only get you so far. Well, but recruiting is always off a year. So I don't think it really matters what they do this season. You don't season. think so? No. Recruiting hmm. is, is the, the selling job is done in the offseason because you can say, well, this is my first year. We need you at QB. You come in. You're that missing piece, right? Yeah, you can sell that. You can sell that pretty easily, especially if if you're going to say, hey, we think you're good enough. You can come in and start right away. But Kurt Signetti definitely in the honeymoon phase for Indiana. Hasn't lost a game yet, saying all the right things, getting five-star quarterbacks on campus to least visit, uh, reality can set in pretty quick when you start playing football games. And we saw that for Ryan Walters this past season in West Lafayette. That, for that we did. The uh, the hire that everybody was on board with, or seemingly everybody, that uh, years th- at least through year one uh, did not go uh, ideally for Ryan Walters. And I think, I guess we talk about Indiana but I think the onus is going to be on Purdue in year two with Ryan Walters. I think you get a pass to a certain extent in year one. That's kind of what Kurt Signetti will be working with in year one. Ryan Walters, that dude needs to bounce back in a big way with Purdue. In a, a Purdue program that brought in a lot of pieces, unfortunately lost several key pieces in the portal. A lot of their talented players, they did keep Hudson Card, who had a disappointing season. He's got to take that step that we thought he would take last year, this year, for Purdue to sniff a bowl game. But um, Dylan Thieneman got uh, some some big awards or big honors. What is he, like the, the highest graded out freshman yes. defensive player in the country? Yes. So just make sure he doesn't transfer. Yeah, well, this is where NIL comes into play. And for Indiana, they have a good NIL department i'm not sure where that stands with purdue but obviously would iu be willing to throw nil money at a recruit and not someone established that would be a change in what they've normally hmm. done yeah at least for football can't speak for other sports but at least for football it is it's not important that they land him right it's important that they're in the conversation uh I guess one one player doesn't may all of a sudden open doors for and Indiana. And this one is, is more about the relationship, right? It's yeah. not. It's and but to be fair, they did get the Tyler Cherry last minute, right, to commit. True. And go to Bloomington, but that's easy because he's an Indiana kid. And Kurt Signetti's made it clear we we got to own Indiana first, then we can go out and recruit other areas. Ah, yes, that all Indiana first mentality. Yeah. That works so well for the basketball side of things. <laughs> um, we're looking at the re- recruiting rankings in the Big Ten post signing day, which was what Tuesday, Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, I think is yeah, when Tuesday, Wednesday. Which it's a shame that signing day is just a complete afterthought now. Yeah, because you have the early signing period and all that. But uh, the Indiana Hoosiers, the uh, we're down in. 16th in the Big Ten. Only Northwestern and UCLA were worse. (laughs) UCLA was the worst graded out recruiting class in the Big Ten. 
that's not a surprise. At uh, not saying much, but Indiana, fifteenth, uh, Illinois, fourteenth, Michigan State have to go up to, uh, let's see, eighth in the Big Ten for Purdue. So they get uh, some solid four-star commitments. Of course, the top, no surprise, Oregon, Ohio State, Penn State, followed by Michigan and USC. Do you think because uh, Julian Lewis, the the quarterback at play here, because he's seeing other schools, you think it's almost a lock he doesn't go to USC where he's currently committed? Um, Yeah, I would say it's close to a lock. The the problem with Indiana with with luring him is this isn't a kid from not just Bloomington but Indiana or Illinois. I mean, this dude is from Georgia. Okay, you're in deep in SEC country, and he's visited there. Georgia and Bama, right? So it's nice what he's saying about Indiana and Tino Sinceri, the relationship. Yeah, that's going to get you a visit, but you're telling me. Indiana is going to beat out Georgia and Alabama and the SEC for this kid. I'll believe it when I see it. Also, is there concern because this is a guy who's reclassifying? Um, no, I don't think so. Because that hasn't worked out well for IU on the basketball side. Right. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. But uh, no, I don't think it's a, a big red flag. I just kind of more look at it as he can say all the right things about Indiana and it's nice to visit Bloomington, but when you're talking football and football facilities and you're going around Bloomington and Memorial Stadium and then you're going to Tuscaloosa and you're going to Athens, yeah, good luck comparing to those two. But I will say this, and, and Kirk Herbstreit said this before, that IU and Purdue have facilities that compete with, with the best of them. Uh, Memorial Stadium doesn't compete with the best of them. Well, the stadium doesn't. I, I don't disagree there, but as far as the other football facilities... Yeah, they're on, on par. Yes, they're. I use needs a new uh, indoor practice facility. They're getting the new weight room, which what isn't that supposed to open like this month or next month? I think so. Yeah, the, the football only weight facility. So they're investing in those things, and that has been a a, a fifteen year process, right? To get IU up to par for athletics just across the board in facilities. So it's not it's not that they're at the massive facilities deficit that I think people think that they are. We'll see. We'll see if they can pull off a miracle. I'm just uh, highly highly skeptical. Four six eight six two. The text line number four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side, Super Bowl fifty eight. Why the Chiefs will win on Sunday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Thirteen eighty. The fan. One hundred point nine FM. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. Well, Darius Rucker, uh, it, it, he was in the news recently for something bad, uh, right? He got arrested in <laughs> yeah. Nashville for possession. I, I don't know what it was. Pills or weed or something. I'm not sure. But uh, not ideal. I think he was arrested like last year, but it finally came out. Yeah. That, a plea deal or that, something. That might be it but uh yeah not not ideal he was arrested february 1st minor drug offenses booked on three misdemeanor charges okay that's nothing move along nothing to see here yeah anyway um (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to transition out of that uh there'll be a lot of people wanting to see the super bowl yes super bowl 58 uh we talked first hour why the 49ers will win this hour we'll discuss why the chiefs will win and of course make our picks so uh, the Chiefs argument, there's not a lot of metrics, right, that make you feel comfortable in picking the Chiefs over the Niners. It's, it's that simple. But 
when you do look at it, it comes down to this. They have the better coach, slightly, right? I mean, he's he's won Super Bowls. He's proven. He's more experienced. Uh, an elite tight end who's at or above. Uh, George Kittle and, and Travis Kelsey. The offensive line is is better on the interior. The the secondary is better. That includes Drew Tranquil, right? A guy who's developed into a really good player for them uh, from Fort Wayne. Obviously, have the edge in special teams, and of course, let's not forget. They have the best player in football in Patrick Mahomes. Yes. My thing was going to be is it, it, for me it's as simple as saying Kansas City wins because they have Patrick Mahomes. And, and, and I mean I agree. Like, <laughs> that's pretty much all I need. The and all I got. There aren't a lot of arguments to be made, especially on how poorly the Chiefs may uh, played during the regular season. They were minus eleven in turnover margin in the regular season. Yes, the Niners were plus ten. A team minus 11 should not be having these success if they're having the playoffs. But here's the thing. They're playing their best football in the postseason. Patrick Mahomes, while the stats haven't been otherworldly, whether during the regular season or postseason, he has been efficient. Second lowest sack rate in the NFL. He's been sacked just twice in three postseason games. Hasn't had a fumble or or an interception. So he's been turnover free. Uh, It's pretty hard to beat a team when they're not turning the ball over. Now, the Chiefs have taken advantage of bad turnovers, right? <laughs> like by the Ravens, for example, right. uh, or the Bills, as have the Niners, bad turnovers by the uh, Lions and that comeback. So to me, it's Mahomes. It's the fact he's been mistake-free. It's the, the Chiefs have been there and done that. You don't have any of the nonsense, right? The, the fire alarm and the Niners having to deal with that. You don't have the nonsense of the practice field and, and the whining and complaining about that. This is a Chiefs team that shows up. They're all business. There's been no side story whatsoever. They're the defending Super Bowl champs. They have the best player in football. Patrick Mahomes, if he wins this game, they're going to start saying, is he, is he going to catch Brady, right? Because it's going to be a realistic thing to ask. And a guy who's played in six straight AFC championship games and has not lost in regulation. He's lost in overtime twice. And then he's he's gone on to the Super Bowl all the other times. So it's... It's not the offense, right, of, of Tyreek Hill and Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey of several years ago because it's not about the offense anymore. It's about the defense. It's about Chris Jones. It's about that secondary. Um, they make plays and, and, and get things done when it matters the most. And I think defensively, they are just as much up there with the 49ers on defense. And of course, they have the best quarterback in the game and a slight edge at head coach. This is the best defense that Kansas City has had in the Patrick Mahomes era. And it's By going far. against a quarterback that's making his first appearance in the Super Bowl. Not saying that Brock Purdy, the moment is going to be too big for Brock Purdy, but it's not going to be too big for Patrick Mahomes. And that's kind of my thing. Been there, done that type of of uh, of attitude and I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes I can't bet against Travis Kelsey I cannot bet against Andy Reid and I think that's why the Chiefs win this game I think the defense while it doesn't have to be dominant it will do enough to rattle Brock Purdy into making some mistakes and it doesn't even have to be turnovers it can be a missed opportunity and that's the big thing is you have to capitalize on your opportunities when Kansas City gives them to you because you have very, very few of them. And I don't know if San Francisco can convert on every opportunity it has, but I will say that that secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs better be ready to play when you're facing 
Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel because they're the two best wide receivers playing in this game. So if anything, you can look at that as being a big matchup that not a lot of people are talking about, but you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes, can you? No. Can't do and, and, and the other thing is, you know, that secondary was the question mark all last season, but when it mattered most, the secondary held serve, and now they have some pretty good players who, you know, are, are you know, it was it was mostly rookies. Then you add some depth with Drew Tranquil, and now the secondary is one of the strengths of the defense, right? Went from being a weak spot at the start of last season to coming into their own in the playoffs last season, and now they're one of the strengths of the defense outside, of course, the, the defensive line. Uh, the X factor for the Chiefs, Nick Bosa against Chiefs tackle Jawan Taylor, who's given up 24 penalties in 20 games. That's one thing to 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 think about in this matchup as far as if Nick Bosa can get pressure on Mahomes. Now, Mahomes excels certainly under pressure, but that's the one thing that you feel like uh, uh, the, the 49ers can maybe get some slight advantage is if Bosa has a big game. But in the end, it's Patrick Mahomes, number 15 on the other side. That's why Kansas City wins this football game. What's your score prediction? Oh, man, I'm really getting particular. I'm going to go, let's see, 30 to 22, Kansas City. I'm going to go 27 17, Kansas City. So we're City. about in the same range, yeah. eight to 10 points that we feel this game's going to be. I just, I don't think Brock Purdy is good enough to beat Patrick Mahomes. I, I think, don't think be- so. between the quarterbacks and, and Mahomes' stat line, it's it's not been exceptional in the postseason, but he's taking care of the football, and that's ultimately what matters. I mean, you look at a guy who, who threw for 241 in a touchdown against Baltimore, completed nearly 77% of his passes. Uh, 215, two touchdowns uh, against Buffalo on the road, and then against Miami, 262 in a touchdown. It, it, it's not been the most impressive stat-wise, but again, sack just twice, no fumbles, no interceptions. I think Brock Purdy throws a pick. I think turnovers are the story. I think that's why Kansas City wins this game. And if Brock Purdy shows out, then you'll want to listen to the show on Monday morning. <laughs> I'm going to have to eat everything I've ever said about Brock Purdy. <laughs> but we're both recently confident that it's going to be Kansas City come Sunday night. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Friday. A moose on the loose in Wyoming. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Final time here for the week. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Uh, let us know your Super Bowl prediction on the text line. 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Again, text line number 46862. Yeah, come on. you got a couple of minutes. Uh, Justin has the Chiefs winning... What was it? Th- 30 to 22. 30 to 22. I have the Chiefs winning 27-17. There you go. We're and and we're only boat. making our picks because Patrick Mahomes is, well, Patrick Mahomes. He, he is, he's reached the Brady status in the sense that, yeah, yes, of course, he hasn't won seven Super Bowls, but Patrick Mahomes is just that much better that you feel like because you have him, you have the advantage yes. no matter what. There are very Even f- though roster-wise, there are very few position groups that, that the Niners aren't better than the Chiefs. There are very few um, quarterbacks that you say they're going to win because they have X quarterback, and that's where I'm at with the Kansas City Chiefs. So let us know your Super Bowl pick on the text line 46862. Going to wrap it up here with a story from Wyoming. 
a moose was caught on camera chasing skiers down a slope at a Wyoming ski resort. And this is a pretty popular Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Um, A guy posted a video to his Facebook page and the moose pursued him. Several other skiers down the mountain. I mean, he is hauling ass too. Yeah, by the this way, this is this is terrifying. No reports of injuries, thankfully. Uh, I don't normally think of, and this is not like, you know, an area where I would classify it as, you know, backcountry skiing. Sure. This is very much just on the slopes, a moose on the loose, going after skiers. Now, was he just was he particularly going after skiers, or just out for a run? I guess out for a run, but. But the skiers were having to dodge him and, you know, you want to stay out of the the, way of the the, moose. Yeah, the skiers went to a a different trail to obviously try to avoid him. Yeah, so he was, uh, he was, uh, well, it was most impressive to me was how fast he was running. Yes. Very impressive. Galloping. he was able to, yes, very much so. So I was impressed with uh, Uh, the The the, uh, wildlife expert in Idaho says the moose most likely not chasing the skiers at all. Uh, He's just trying to get out of the way. Uh, moose can weigh up to 600 pounds. They can run between 22 and 25 miles per hour. Uh, and this wildlife expert guessed the moose was about two to three years old. Uh, Just a so playful younger. guy. Yeah. Um, moose native to Idaho and Wyoming. Not uncommon to share recreational areas, according to uh, a local TV station. A dry winter, though, may be contributing to the number of moose encounters at higher elevations. There you go. So, so lower uh, snow depths, that's what that can lead to, which... Last winter, it was the opposite, right? Yeah, it, it was a lot of high snow. snow depths out west. So maybe that could be why they're just trying to get by until you get to spring. That's just with the mood, just out for a run and just being bothered by the people around him. But uh, he was he was moving pretty fast. That was pretty, and and you can hear people like heads up moose, you know, which you don't <laughs> yeah, hear very often. No. Heads up moose, huh? But uh, yeah, apparently that was the thing out in <laughs> Wyoming. That does it for us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush, not with Brett Rump today, but Shannon Griffith in for Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a great weekend and enjoy Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday. Go Chiefs!